0: Why is God so angry? Isn't the Bible full of contradictions? How could God allow so Isn't much disproved to happen? How can the How Bible say the, the earth was created so so in six days? days? How can the Bible say the earth was created in six days? I believe that God is sovereign, and that He knows what He's doing, and He will work all things for good. But confession, sometimes I don't understand what he's doing. I don't get it. And sometimes it's just frustrating and disheartening. Um, spoiler alert, that's how this Devo ends. Because um, today we, we encounter the passage in, in the Bible that I, and I think I personally struggle with the most in trying to figure out what God was thinking. I don't, I just don't get it. Uh, and maybe maybe that's the point. Uh, in fact, I tried to hand this daily off to Ken, uh, and uh, he got busy and asked me to just to take it. So here we are again. I'm, we're going to wrestle through this together. Um, I came across a story this week of, of John Chow. John is from. Uh, Washington, uh, from Vancouver, Washington. Uh, He's an outdoor enthusiast. Uh, He was sort of an Instagram celebrity for being uh, an outdoorsy kind of a guy. But John loved Jesus deeply. And and John developed a passion for the people um, who are the least reached, really, in the entire world the least reached people group. It's this little island between India and Thailand called the North Sentinel Island and it's a a completely isolated tribe of people living on this little island. They won't allow any uh, outside influence. They they live basically as this this um, neolithic sort of ancient people um, on this island and and it's it's dangerous because anytime anyone tries to come on or near the island there's violence. And so the Indian Coast Guard has actually prevented anyone from getting near the island or going to it. Um, It's illegal. Um, John developed this burning passion uh, to reach these people with the gospel. And so he trained for three years in languages, uh, in missiology and even training himself on how to treat arrow wounds. Uh, that was, they used bow and arrows on the island assuming that um, as he reached them that was a real risk and so he began training himself even to treat those wounds. And um, In 2018 he set out uh, on this very expensive, very difficult mission uh, where he had to hire a secret fishing boat who would take him covertly uh, and his first time on the island he gets on the beach, and the, and the tribe comes out to him, and they come out with violence. And They begin shooting arrows, and he, he's trying to speak their language. And um, and one arrow actually strikes his Bible, and sticks in his Bible, and he pulls it out. And he, he very fearfully walks back, and he gives it back to the kid who shot it. Um, and so he kind of calls it a day, uh, and huffs back in his kayak and goes back out to the fishing boat. And and he, he's writing in his diary that night, just really terrified as to like what's going on and, and the task in front of him. Uh, And and he writes, I'm scared, Um, watching the sunset and it's beautiful, crying a bit, wondering if it'll be the last sunset I see before being in the place where the sun never sets. He's writing in his journal uh, that night, he says, you guys might think I'm crazy in all this, he wrote to his family, but I think it's worth it to declare Jesus to these people. The next day, he goes back to the island. He tells the fishing boat to leave because he doesn't want uh, there to be fear about this this boat offshore. It's just him, and he brings this this gift of fish. And he's just trying to love and reach these people. Um, and he encounters them once again that day in November 2018, when he's shot by an arrow, killed, and then buried on the beach. The Indian Coast Guard has deemed it too dangerous to retrieve his body, and so John Chow is still buried on the beach, on North Sentinel Island, not having reached anyone, being able to speak, not being able to speak their language, not having reached anyone with the gospel. And and it it leads me to to wonder why, what was, what, what, You know, when you hear about Jim Elliot and what happened with the Alka Indians, there's this amazing story that comes out of their sacrifice. But with John Chow, we don't see that. In fact, even in the media portrayals of them, they're not seen as martyrs today. He's seen as sort of this imperialistic, arrogant kid who was foolish and idiotic and shows up where he wasn't supposed to be. He should have left them alone, and he's villainized in sort of secular media in this attempt that he makes to reach them with the gospel. And and I just go, why? God, what what are you doing? Why? And and in some ways, that's how I feel about this text today. So we see that the kingdom has gone from David to Solomon. And Solomon uh, is enticed by his insatiable desire for foreign women. He collects wives like baseball cards. And he brings these foreign wives in who have these foreign gods. And so Solomon sets up these altars, these pagan altars all around the land. And God is angry and he judges Solomon. And as a result, he calls out to this man, Jeroboam, who's from the north. He says to Jeroboam, I'm going to cut away 10 tribes, 10 of the 12 tribes, and give them to you. And I'm going to start over with you, Jeroboam. And he selects, he handpicks Jeroboam to be the king of the north. Uh, Solomon hears word of this prophecy and chases Jeroboam and he goes to Egypt and he's in exile in Egypt. And, uh, and then Rehoboam becomes uh, Solomon's heir. So, again, it's confusing because there's Rehoboam, who is Solomon's heir, who is the king in the south, king in Jerusalem. Rehoboam. Jeroboam comes back from Egypt as a representative of the 10 northern tribes. And they come to Rehoboam, who's newly aired as king, and, uh, and they say, hey, can you please lighten our load? We feel overtaxed and underrepresented and they come before Rehoboam asking this. And Rehoboam, uh, who is this young king, he goes to his, his father's advisors and says, what should I do about this? And his father's advisors say, yeah, you know what, maybe maybe in order to keep the peace, you need to, to ease the burden. Rehoboam goes, okay, well, thanks for the advice. Then he goes to his high school buddies. He says, what do you think? And his high school buddies say, no, you need to come down hard. You need to show them who's boss. You need to show them who's in charge. And so Rehoboam He says, you thought that my dad was hard on you. Wait until I get my chance to reign over you. He said, my pinky finger is thicker than my father's thigh. And so he's going to increase the burden and the taxation. And and what happens, of course, they send a a representative to the northern tribes and they're killed. And and, and they they revolt. And there's this revolt in the ten northern tribes. They, They declare Jeroboam to be their king. It's this division and split. So you've got Rehoboam, and he's in the south. This is called the divided kingdom. It's really important to understand for the Old Testament going forward, where you've got in the south, there's two tribes. There's Judah and Benjamin, and they become known as Judah. And then you have the ten tribes in the north, and they're called Israel. So Israel and Judah. Jeroboam in the north, Rehoboam in the south. Um, But Then we see in verse 25, Uh, Jeroboam built Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim and lived there he was the king in the north and he went out from there and he built Penuel and Jeroboam said in his heart now the kingdom will turn back to the house of David if this people go up to offer sacrifices in the temple of the Lord at Jerusalem then the heart of this people will turn again to their Lord to Rehoboam king of Judah and they will kill me and return to Rehoboam king of Judah Um, so Jeroboam starts to get nervous he says, listen, if the people go back south, because the temple is in Judah, it's in Jerusalem in the south, if the people make a pilgrimage there to the temple, they're going to turn their hearts back and want to go back to Judah. And he starts to get afraid of losing his power. So the king took counsel and made two calves of gold. And he said to the people, you have gone up to Jerusalem long enough. Behold your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. They set one in Bethel and the other and put it down. And this thing became a sin for the people. And uh, then went as far as Dan to be uh, before one. He also made temples in high places and appointed priests from among all the people who were not of the Levites. And Jeroboam appointed a feast on the 15th day of the 8th month like the feast that was in Judah. And he offered sacrifices on the altar. So he did in Bethel, sacrificing to the calves that he made. And he placed in Bethel the priests in the high places that he made. And he went up to the altar that he had made in Bethel. And on the fifteenth day, the eighth month, in the month that he had devised from his own heart, and he instituted a feast for the people of Israel and went up to the altar to make offerings. Jeroboam was supposed to start his own political entity, um, but he also created his own religious one. He was afraid that the people were going to go back down to Jerusalem and their hearts were going to be drawn back to God uh, in the south and back to the southern neighbors. And so instead, he sets up these these calves, two altars of calves, where, hey, this is where you guys will worship now. And he sets up a, a fall, this new festival, these new times, these new priests, and he establishes a new religion in the north. Uh, it's it's amazing that, that in some ways, you've got Jeroboam, who's seen as a Almost this Moses figure where uh, Rehoboam in the south begins to oppress his people. People feel oppressed. and He's kind of like Pharaoh. And here you have a Jeroboam who comes out of Egypt like Moses to deliver his people. But, but this Moses figure becomes just like Aaron. Aaron set up a single golden calf for the people to worship and said, Behold the God who brought you out of Egypt. And Jeroboam says the same thing. He sets up two calves and says, Behold the gods who brought you out of Egypt. He becomes Aaron and he leads the people into idolatry. And I don't understand what God was thinking because if you look at the history of Israel from that point, the northern tribes, they totally stray. Every king after Jeroboam is told falls into the sin of Jeroboam of idolatry, where he sets up this false religion. And you've got some prophets that try and fight against it, but but these calves were like this synchronistic blending of, of Baal worship with also Yahwism, right, of, of, of worshiping God. And, and it's this, this mess of a new religion, and it leads people astray, and God is judging it, and eventually he brings the Assyrians in as a judgment, and the Assyrians wipe out the northern tribes, and they bring their own people in and they intermarry with the north and it becomes watered down. And the northern, the 10 northern tribes become known as the Samaritans, who are this like half-breed false worshiping people who become despised in the south. And so I don't understand what God was doing appointing Jeroboam, knowing what he was gonna do, that he was gonna lead people into idolatry, That the north was going to be wiped out by Assyria and they would disappear. I don't get it. If I'm being honest, I really struggle with God. Why Jeroboam? Why did you handpick him? Knowing that he was going to lead people astray. And as I wrestle with what does this tell me about God? Not trying to change the story or make it lighter or easier or platitude it away, but truly go, what does this tell me about the God that I worship? I think the first thing is, I, I don't think that God is desperate for us to worship Him. God is completely whole and, and is lacking nothing. And He's not desperate, willing to compromise in order to try and, and keep us. So there's something here about God is okay if people choose to go awry. He doesn't seem desperate. He doesn't seem like he's, he's absolutely just chewing his fingernails, going, I just wish they'd turned back. It doesn't seem to be the picture I get of God. Although sometimes, I think sometimes I've heard, particularly in in, in in youth ministry, that's the God that's painted, this desperate, broken-hearted, loving God who's just biting his fingernails, anxious for us in any way possible to to accept him. That's just not the God I see here. And, and I think sometimes we just don't understand what he's doing. It's the same with John Chow. I don't understand. I believe and I have faith that someday perhaps I will understand, that, that God will show me what was going on and what the plan was and, and how that fit in. Um, but in the moment, I don't because I'm not God. And what we see over and over again for some reason in scriptures that God will allow and perhaps even ordain roadblocks to the kingdom path don't know why I mean he uses you know what 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 the enemy intended for evil God used for good and and I trust that God is using them but sometimes it seems like God even ordains roadblocks obstacles and so we come back to the very beginning which is sometimes I don't understand what God is doing and I think that's okay Because I think we all are gonna have those moments that we go, God, I don't get it. But my faith is large enough to trust that God is sovereign, he is in charge, and God is good. And even though I don't understand, I'm gonna trust him anyway. Hopefully um, Hopefully that's encouraging for you today knowing that I I don't have all the answers either. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you're God. We thank you that you are good and we we can trust you. We thank you that, that, that you will work all things together for good, even if we don't understand it in the moment. God, help us to trust you even in the midst of the fog. Thank you that we can trust you. In your name we pray, amen. Well, we'll see you again soon. Have a great day.